Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Today is Monday, May 19th, and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon on Blog Talk Radio. This is a live radio show that is broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe for free to the digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank you all for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here, and I would like to take a moment to tell you all about the great chicken coops over at Woodtex Products. Woodtex Products manufactures, sells, and delivers chicken coops nationwide. They have been in the building business for over 31 years, so they know their stuff. Their chicken coops are built to last and withstand any type of weather. They're portable, durable, stylish, and come in many different sizes. Their chicken coops can be purchased fully assembled or as kits. Check out Woodtex products online at www.woodtex.com and see for yourself what all the clucking is about. Order a chicken coop in April or May and receive $175 in upgrades for free. Remember, that's www.woodtex.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Thank <laughs> you. 
You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chicken water. When you need an incubator, think Brency. The Incubation Specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brency.com. Brency spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brincy.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy. Technology you can trust. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. Here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Glad you could tune in. Hope you had a great weekend. We sure did. Uh, it was. Um, I tried to take the weekend off, but there was still a lot of posting to do about the current uh, salmonella outbreak. So uh, I did a little bit of that over the weekend uh, as needed, but we did enjoy the uh, family. We're back at the homestead now, but just for uh, about 48 hours. We uh, uh, pulled in yesterday, and uh, we're kind of switching out some things, getting ready for the next uh, venture. But um, we'll be heading out again uh, tomorrow morning and uh, getting some things done. I know next weekend we'll be celebrating Caleb's third birthday, so uh, hopefully that will be a good uh, good weekend with family and friends. This Wednesday my dad's having a hip replacement surgery, so I'll be spending some time up at his place uh, a little bit during the day. Uh, Well, he'll be in the hospital uh, for about four days, but uh, after that trying to get him settled and on the road to recovery. And uh, but nonetheless, uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on. We're uh, going to try to broadcast uh, this week. I know today we've got a great show for you. Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor and founder of First State Vet Supply, uh, you can visit them online at firststatevetsupply.com. He's going to be joining us today. We're going to be taking some questions from our fans on Facebook. Yesterday evening, I posted that he would be on, and. Uh, 
also told, told folks that we probably are going to stay away from most of the salmonella questions. We've done uh, two very good shows on that, tons of information from experts from around the country, and uh, we encourage you to go listen to those. It was uh, the, the um, episode we had Thursday, last Thursday and last uh, Monday. Uh, was really, really good. So if you're going to listen to one, if you have to choose to one, we would recommend you listen to the one on Thursday because we asked uh, the, uh, all of our panelists of experts the same question about what they would do and how they would handle it, the issue with salmonella and this strand and the whole nine yards. So listen to it, and then you can make up uh, your mind with the uh, information along with other information you gather maybe from CDC website, USDA website, and, uh, and other research that you're doing so you can make the right decision for you and your family. So that's what we would like for you to do. Um, oh, I will make this announcement. Um, you know there was a, uh, and still is, a May Ultimate Chicken Coop contest going on, but because of the outbreak that's lasted about one week, um, and will continue. We didn't want to post something about a serious topic like the outbreak and then all of a sudden say, hey, win this chicken coop, yay. So um, what we're going to do, uh, to be fair with our sponsor that has provided this awesome coop uh, and everybody else is focused on, on, on um, keeping our birds and our family healthy, we're going to extend that contest through June. Okay, so I'll make that official post later in the week, but you're hearing it today first here on Backyard Poultry with the uh, Chicken Whisperer. So uh, we will extend the March Ultimate Chicken Coop, excuse me, the May, <laughs> where do the years go? Uh, the May Ultimate Chicken Coop, we're going to extend that through June as well, and we push back the June one to July or August. So no worries there. You'll still have a chance uh, to, to win that awesome coop that we're giving away. We're just going to extend it for another month while we uh, kind of uh, get through this uh, this outbreak, which is still ongoing, sent uh, my contact over to the CDC an email just before the show. I had talked to her earlier this morning, and I had just had a few uh, questions uh, for her. So um, hopefully I'll hear back later this afternoon. But let's get on to with the show. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring on our good friend, Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. Let's go ahead and give him a big chicken whisperer welcome like I know you can. <laughs> Alrighty. Hey, Peter. Thanks for joining us today. How you doing? All right, Andy. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, let's see. Did you happen to see, I guess if you wanted to call it my uh, official response to uh, to the outbreak, did you happen to, to take a look at that on my Facebook page? Yes, I did. Yeah. I didn't have okay. time to you know, catch up with you off air, but yeah. No, yeah, I, no problem. I looked at it, and... I think, in, in all honesty, it, you know, from uh, the two shows that we did, uh, you know, concerning the salmonella outbreak, it, it was, you know, consistent with what we've been espousing those during those two shows, uh, the majority of us, anyway. Um, yeah, I tried. You know, I just I tried to I, add. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, it, you know, look, everything's not for everybody, you know. Uh, not everybody likes plain water, not everybody likes soda, not everybody likes tea, not everybody likes coffee. So it's whatever fits into, you know, your own little world and uh, whatever risk. You know, some people in life, as we all know, uh, very huge risk takers and, you know, uh, jump off of buildings with a, on, a, uh, on a bungee cord and hope it doesn't break and, you know, uh, all of those kinds of things. So this is, this kind of is the same thing for, for most people, uh, um, I think. It's a matter of making up your mind what's going to fit into the lifestyle that you live. You know. 
Yeah. Jen, Jen told me specifically, I had her proofread it before I posted it, and she was like, you know, she said, you know, I guess if we, if it was just you and me, we had no kids, it was just you and me, and we lived in the middle of nowhere, and, and none of the above applied. We weren't going to show our chickens. We weren't going to maybe give give our chickens away to, to friends to start their own flock. We weren't going to, you know, have flocks right next to us. We weren't, you know, if none of that applied, uh, based on what mm-hmm. I, I posted, and I'll read it for folks in a minute, then, then we might keep them, you know. Uh, everybody has their own unique situation, but for us, with everything I posted, and a lot of those things that I posted weren't uh, even mentioned really on, on the show, or, or they were, but just here or there. So I'm just going to uh, read it to everybody in case you don't follow us on uh, on Facebook. But the reason why I posted it because people had a legitimate question. With, you know, what would you do, Andy, uh, in this situation? So, And that's a very valid question. They said they, you know, uh, they come to my page to get information, and they're just curious uh, what, what I would do. So uh, this is what I posted. And we'll get on to the questions and answers from my Facebook page for Peter. Um, several people have asked me what I would do based on the current salmonella outbreak uh, with all the information I currently have that has been made public and other information that has not made uh, has not been made public. Here is my answer. So here's, if I uh, received chicks that were associated with the current salmonella F outbreak, because I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old that are not going to be concerned with nor understand what biosecurity is all about because I often give away and or sell eggs to family and friends because there are several other flocks near mine which I would not want to risk infecting because I may want to give away or sell some of my birds in my current flock to help a friend or neighbor start their own flock because I may want to enter my birds into a poultry show, because I, <laughs> I like this one, I kind of added this one towards the end, because I pay out of pocket for our health care insurance and have an $11,000 deductible, because I have to think about the, uh, um, and because I have to think about the risks not only to my family and my flock, but to other families and their flock as well. And uh, probably a few more reasons I would think of over the next few days, which I did, because I trust the uh, professional opinion of Peter Brown and uh, Dr. McRae and uh, Dr. Petiski. Um, I would call the chicks. And I said, this is my choice for my family, and you have to make your choice for your family. I said, I know my answer will not be a popular one for some people, but this is not a popular, uh, popularity contest for me. It's about education. I said nobody, and I mean nobody can challenge my track record on doing more and promoting backyard chicken keeping all over the country over the past decade. Um, I said those of you that have followed me know what I'm talking about, know what I have done. The newer followers will just continue to see um, what I will continue to do to promote backyard poultry. I said if you choose to unlike my Facebook page, it will not hurt my feelings because I respect your decision. And at the end of the day, if I can go to sleep at night knowing that my son and daughter are proud of Daddy for doing the right thing, including posting the right information, uh, factual, science-based, study-based information uh, on the on the uh, Facebook page, then that's what matters to me. So uh, I did want to post that because some people were saying, well, what would you do? Yeah, let's hear what you would do. And so there it is, and I guess, you know. But, you know, obviously my fan base increased almost 400 after I posted that. I don't think I lost a single fan uh, because of it. Um, because I think most people understand that you have to make the decision for your circumstances and um, and your family. Such. 
on the show. So um, let's get on to today's show, and uh, we pull a list of questions that we want to get to. We'll try to get to them all today. Um, let me scroll back up here on our Facebook page, and if you follow us on Facebook, what I'll do is um, uh, we uh, I will actually like the question if we actually get to it during today's show. So let me go down here and find it. Here it is. And we are going to start. Now, some of these, again, we've got new listeners due to, again, this outbreak. They may not have known we had a podcast, so some of these are repeat. We'll always have repeat questions for people that haven't listened before or just uh, hadn't listened to the podcast or don't have the information. And so, um, uh, again, we don't mind repeating that information. So we'll start at the very top, uh, Peter, and uh, this comes to us from Donovan. And uh, he wants to know, what is a good way to treat for mites? A man after my own heart. I was just working on a little blurb to put on uh, on <laughs> Facebook sometime this week about about mites and mite control to uh, try to <laughs> bump <laughs> people into getting on it before it becomes a crisis. So it's a it's a well timed yeah. question. Um, well, let me start by saying that. Um, the control of mites uh, doesn't begin with just the bird. Um, I know that a lot of folks um, uh, have done that over the years and, and continue to, to do so, and when they find a product that's effective, they stay on it and then they beat it to death. And by that, I mean they continually use that product because they don't want mites back on their birds, and um, we end up with a product that down the road doesn't work. Um, this is uh, uh, akin to antibiotic resistance. Well, this is insecticide resistance, and we, we see it uh, for those that have used ivermectin, um, malathion, uh, all of the Adams products that no, no longer work for the most part, <clears throat> mainly uh, with a lot of the Adams-type products, uh, uh, two-pronged deal there, a pyrethrin versus a permethrin, Pyrethrin being natural product, uh, and the problem with that is that uh, once it dries, it stops working. So and people don't realize that, so they spray it on their birds, and it kills uh, those that it comes into contact uh, with while it's uh, uh, wet. But as soon as it dries, uh, all activity is lost, and the mites, you know, strike up the band, get out the booze, and have another party. So it starts all over again. The permethrin is a better choice in that particular uh, case, uh, unless you're looking to be more natural than, than chemical. Uh, and uh, in that, it has what we call residual activity. It's a man-made product. And that product will uh, continue to work for a number of weeks after it's dry. So you get a little bit better mite control with that, actually a lot better. Uh, you can also uh, take that product and use it on the premise. So. Um, there are a lot of differences in a, in a lot of products, and um, uh, I can just briefly go into them. But a good, a good mite control program begins with the coop, really, first, uh, and then uh, the birds, not really second, but almost simultaneously. So uh, what I would do is, is uh, on a nice, warm, sunny day, when it's uh, a day that you can afford to get birds wet, um, I would clean out the entire coop, uh, get all the dust, dirt, dander, manure, feathers, whatever, cobwebs, everything out. I would wash it all down, and then I would let it 
not dry, dry, but you know, uh, no standing puddles. And then I would take the 10% permethrin product. I would mix it up according to the directions that come with it. Uh, that will explain to you how strong to make it. And uh, the way it's applied uh, is important because uh, just a light spraying is, is not sufficient. Uh, you have to basically flood every little nook and cranny with this stuff um, and uh, let it do what we call cascade down the wall like a little waterfall ahead of you. Um, and um, this product doesn't have to be dry, dry either. You just can't have puddles for birds to stand in because it will absorb into the skin. Uh, it is, to my knowledge, safe to be used around birds that are producing eggs for human consumption, so there isn't any withdrawal time there. Um, uh, and it is a relatively safe product uh, from that standpoint. Uh, whether you want to use the 10% permethrin on, on the birds uh, as well is up to you. Uh, I do recommend a rotational program, and by rotational I mean uh, you can use the 10% permethrin on the, on the uh, coop, and then the front line on the birds. Uh, then you can use uh, a new product called Elector, and you can use that the next time around on the coop and use it on the birds because it's brand new, so you can get a, a dual purpose there. Uh, you can uh, mix that up according to the label directions that come with it. We will give you specific directions on how to make it up in smaller lots uh, because it is a more expensive product in relation to the others. It's relatively new. Uh, the patent is still in place on it, I'm sure. Um, and uh, this product is also used in dogs and cats. Um, um, can't remember the uh, trade name of the, of the product that it's used in on dogs, but the active ingredient in the Lector is Spinosad, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D, uh, and it is uh, relatively uh, new uh, in that respect. So there shouldn't be any resistance to that. Uh, it works extremely well from all of the folks that I've had feedback from now, and I've had at least a half a dozen people uh, who have purchased the product, who have gotten back to me and said, wow, this is really good, this stuff works. So, uh, again, a rotational program of the permethrin, 10%, the um, elector, the um, front line, you know, and then you can split that up. You can even get uh, a elector put on the building, front line on the birds. You can get elector put on the building, permethrin on the birds. Uh, you can rotate that around any way you want. And what that allows you to do, really, on at least on your premise, is to extend the life of all of these products out um, uh, many, many years because there will be no resistance. They're all different chemical families, um, and you virtually will not really have any resistance to it. You should have a very successful uh, mite control program. Um, like anything else, um, back in the day when I was a kid, you know, uh, you wanted to wax your car, you got the rags out and you got the wax out and a lot of elbow grease and many-hour job of doing a good job of, of waxing the car. You know, today the shortcut is you go to the car wash and they wax it and wash it all in the same shot. Not quite the same job. doesn't last as long either. And at the end of the day, it's not quite the same job, not, not the same look as you would get with that hand-polished job. Same thing if you take shortcuts, you know, with mites. Um, if you don't kill them at their source and get rid of them at their source, which is the coop uh, and everything else associated with it, uh, you end up with, you know, a problem and a uh, constantly uh, working these things. You could also, for those folks who are uh, more interested in a natural approach, uh, you could certainly use diatomaceous earth, um, uh, effective uh, to a degree. Uh, just depends on how much you put out, and if you put it out constantly for the birds to, to dust bath in, uh, not necessarily a good product for those people who are interested in showing, 
and has a tendency to cut the feathers and dull the feathers up a little bit, but all, nonetheless uh, a good alternative to chemicals. You can also use the poultry protector sprays, and you can work any of these in and out, okay? Uh, so you, we have an arsenal of things. It's just that, you know, a lot of people right now are fixated on the front line. I think it's a big mistake. And, uh, you know, they'll eventually find out that it won't work either. And uh, I think in, in dogs and cats, they're finding out the same thing, that there's some problems uh, with all of these types of things, and that's why the new things keep coming along. I will say that the Elector uh, uh, is a very effective product for red mite in Europe. And we all, anybody that knows anything about the European market at all knows that red mites over there are a huge problem. And there's been no resistance to it. The Elector is a very safe product, can be used around the birds, uh, that are uh, producing eggs to human consumption, no withdrawal time there either. So real good question. I'm glad the person asked it, uh, and that's the, the short and long of it right there as to uh, how, how you go about getting a good uh, mite control program and getting them under control and not having to deal with it. Now, scaled leg mites might be a little bit different uh, because they're going to be uh, pretty much just uh, uh, under the scales of the legs and the 10% permethrin works real well for that. Mix it up <clears throat> as you would uh, in the strength that you would put it on the birds. They'll be inside the label on the front. Uh, it's a little peel-down label, accordions out. Uh, and inside that label will tell you how to mix it to put it on the bird. Mix up a sufficient quantity uh, to stand the bird in, in it all the way up to its thighs. Uh, leave the bird standing there for about a minute, minute and a half, uh, no longer than that. Uh, take the bird out, come back in uh, in. Uh, uh, 10 days or so and do it again, and that, that should be the end of it as far as that's concerned. Then you can take that product that's left over, filter out any manure, feathers, and, and junk that may be in it from doing that, and then go back and do the roosts and everything else. So you can really get your mileage out of it at an inexpensive per, uh, per gallon uh, cost as well. Wow. That was a lot of information, and uh, <laughs> I think Donovan can be happy with all of that because that's a lot of information, a lot of different uh, options. So. That's pretty awesome, and a lot of that and stuff that you see on the blogs and forums, kind of put into uh, to light. So thank you very much for for that. Um, yeah, and anybody that you know, we have all of it on our website. Anybody that goes and comes to us, I might say, and buys anything from us, um, <clears throat> if the product comes with directions you don't understand it, you can you can either email me or call me, and we'll certainly straighten that out. Uh, things that have uh, like the spinosad, uh, I have it, so I, we have a, a special uh, sheet that comes with it. It's two pages long, uh, how to break it down into smaller uh, uh, concentrations for people who only have two, three, four, five birds, because uh, as a product, it is expensive. It comes in an 8-ounce bottle, and the cost of it is about $120, but by the end of the day, uh, like everything else, you get what you pay for, and it is the top-line uh, product, and like I said, six, seven, eight people have already called me and emailed me back and said, wow. I'm really getting some control here, and uh, you know it's part of the arsenal. And if you rotate them, you really should get uh, really, really good results with it. Awesome, very good. Thanks for that. Um, I had to look this next up. Um, we call them this something different here in the South, at least I'm familiar with. But uh, Lena Jackson asked, "What is a good treatment for stick um, tights?" Uh, S T I C K. Oh, stick tight Yes. Yeah. Uh, any and, one of those products. Oh, that's, we always call it the same thing as hitchhikers, right? I mean, or, or it's <laughs> a more aggressive type of hitchhike. I mean, that's what, I, that's what, you know, you walk through the woods, you go camping, and you're wearing socks and pants, and all of a sudden, is that, is that the same thing or not? For my research, it's kind of a more aggressive 
uh, hitchhiker. I, I don't know. I had to look it up. I've never heard that term in my life. I, I've heard of, you know, I've never heard the hitchhiker. I've heard the stick tight flea. Um, uh, but any any one of the uh, the products that I mentioned uh, would would take mm-hmm. care of that. Um, okay. I'm not sure, you know, what the life cycle of it is, but um, you, you certainly want something that's going to have some uh, residual value to it. Um, and the the permethrin probably would be my first choice around because it's less expensive. Um, you know, and I think that that would that would work pretty pretty good. Now, if they're in in the coop or out out in the grounds and that kind of stuff, some diatomaceous earth put down doesn't hurt either. Uh, you know, for just general uh, uh, you know general bug control o- overall, and um, uh, you know, but that that will help it. But I'm not sure of the life cycle of of the stick tight flea, but they can be a pain in the neck. That okay. much I do. Okay, good. Um, here. Okay, here's an interesting question. Very valid question. I haven't heard it before, I don't believe, here on the, on the show. But if you have different breeds of chickens, a nice variety in your backyard, and I let my hen hatch some eggs, uh, will they be normal? Uh, asking for the future as mine are still only seven weeks old. So uh, she's got many different breeds of chickens. Oh, she also says um, the rooster is even a different breed. So seven, maybe many different breeds of, of hens and a, even a different breed of rooster. If, uh, again, she hatches some of their eggs, will they be normal? Well, let's go and I look know. at it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what normal means, but um, I know. <laughs> let, let me just say this. Uh, as far as um, a fertile egg, once the egg is laid, it really doesn't matter who sits on it. Um, what matters is how the egg is, is cared for. Um, uh, believe it or not, here where we're not really in the process of, of hatching, um, an egg was missed, and uh, uh, there are two hens taking care of it, both of different breeds. The owner of the egg is taking care of it, but she's also letting somebody else uh, uh, horn in on the deal. Uh, we've got a, a, a Bantam Deanver and a Bantam uh, um, Nankin. Uh, the egg belongs to the nankin, but they're both mothering the egg. So at the end of the day, will the egg be normal as long as they both continue to take care of it, uh, you know, sit on it properly and what have you? Yes. Uh, and it's kind of funny to watch them because uh, when you watch the, the strong maternal instinct to sit on that egg, even though it doesn't belong to you, it's kind of funny because they sit there and then one will take its uh, its beak and just gently pull the egg to it and put it back under itself and then, Eventually, the other one will go back, and they don't fight over it. They're just kind of like shuffling back and forth. And um, you know, we're not quite sure when it's going to hatch, or if, if indeed we've candled it and it, and it is it is viable. And uh, you know, we'll just have to see uh, what what happens at the end of the day. But uh, it is very very interesting to watch that kind of behavior um, uh, with them. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who hatches it, and uh, as long as it's taken care of. Uh, as far as uh, will it be normal uh, if the rooster uh, breeds with a, uh, a hen from a from a different breed? Uh, conception normally does take place, and we call them uh, yard chickens, mutt chickens, uh, or whatever. Certainly wouldn't be pure to the breed, so uh, it shouldn't be a big deal as far as that's concerned, as far as I know. I haven't read, seen, or heard anything else uh, as long as it's chicken. It shouldn't, mm-hmm. be, a, it shouldn't be a big deal. It is an interesting question. Fertile eggs... Uh, you know, will hatch. Uh, you know, obviously, if there is a, a, a rooster or a hen, and they're two different uh, from two different breeds, 
and there are some uh, abnormal genes there, and they just happen to click and come together like some sort of lethal gene, uh, you know, that's always a possibility. Uh, abnormalities are a possibility when you start uh, doing different things. But uh, by and large, not a big deal. It's happened many, many times. Yep, I know that uh, around here there's a lot of, uh, in a rural area, a lot of farms, and they just have what they consider just their yard birds. And mm-hmm. you look out, and there's just anything and everything out there, and they're still eating and collecting the eggs, and they're still having <laughs> baby chicks at, you know, every spring. So it's uh, pretty uh, yep. pretty interesting. How, Many how people that. do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty uh, quick answer, uh, answer here. Kim wants to know, can many different breeds live in harmony? I'm getting some uh, Polish hens to add to my uh, Americanas and leghorns. Can they all live happily ever after together? Ah, depends. Um, <laughs> I do not know the demeanor of every breed. Um, leghorns, as a general rule, are are um, are, are flighty. Um, mm-hmm. And to some degree, it holds true in 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 uh, chickens as it does in cattle. The larger the breed, generally, the more docile they are. As as a general rule, doesn't mean they won't fight and stand their ground. Uh, that's a natural instinct. But if you look at a Jersey and a Guernsey, uh, they are much more flighty, more liable to kick you than a Holstein would uh, would. Um, you know, from my my days in uh, dairy cattle management, and. Uh, so uh, it pretty much it can be that same way in, uh, you know, like I said, we've got a few Danvers out here, not very many, uh, and um, sometimes they can be just troublemakers, just like to go around and stir the pot. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, we're fortunate where we have them, we're able to have a, a large area um, for everybody to pretty much get away from it. But every now and then they want to show, like, their big deal and, and uh, uh, they'll start exerting their their uh, pressure on the flock, and uh, uh, the other flock mates are allowed to to uh, to get into a different area and get away from them. It's all open to everybody, but it's it's still a, a little area that's down the back, and and um, but it, it just depends on, on the breed. Some breeds, you know, like I said, the Leghorns I know for sure are very flighty. Um, I, I can't see them not getting along with most birds, but they they upset easier than others. Uh, the other, uh, the Polish, um, I have not ever uh, raised any, but I know people that that have them, and for the most part, they seem to be docile. But you know, raising Polish with Polish is one thing, and then you start bringing somebody else in. So um, it's one of those things I can't necessarily answer that that question in in the uh, fashion that somebody might might really appreciate, but. Uh, uh, by and large, yeah, we had we had a, a boatload of different breeds when we were up in, in the Atlanta area because we had a um, we would occasionally have like the master gardeners come and and, and visit and um, so we wanted to you know have a have a nice mix and show the different types of breeds from mm-hmm. you know the sex link breeds like a nice brown to uh, Warpingtons, Bard Rock, Silver Laced Wyandots, uh, Light Brahmas. Um, we had some Americanas or Easter Eggers. We had um, Oh my God! We had some. Well, we kept the silkies and the saramas in a separate coop, but uh, all of the we would say kind of large fowl, medium fowl were all all pretty much together, and uh, we never really had any problems with that. If you're looking at the Polish, you may have heard uh, folks that have them uh, may have to uh, um, 
cut some of their uh, uh, crests and crowns that covered their eyes and stuff. Uh, so, you know, um, occasionally um, I've heard that is that they start picking and pecking at things and other birds start picking and pecking at that and whatnot. So, but, um, but yeah, as far as, you know, my experience with having a boatload of different uh, uh, breeds and, and, and even the same uh, run and boop, we haven't had a problem as far as that's concerned at all in many, many years. So. Yeah, and another um, thing, you know, pressure uh, within the flock as far as uh, number of roosters to number of females, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the amount of room that they have. Like I said, we have predominantly roosters here, and we generally don't have much trouble. Every now and then somebody gets out of line and then, you know, we'll uh, <laughs> run, put, a, put a pair of uh, pinless peepers on them or something like that, or, or uh, we've got some uh, some hospital cages here. We'll cage one up for a day or so and then let them back out and kind of reminds them that, uh, you know, pay attention, that uh, you need to be doing things different. And, and again, that, you know, they have a lot of space here and they can go out and do things where maybe within other runs and so on that, that they can't. And, uh, but um, by and large, most birds generally get along uh, and, until you start uh, giving them not enough room and they start to challenge other birds that come into their little area and then that, that sets everybody off. Um, yeah, we've got one Deandra hen out here, I think it is, and she uh, seems like every afternoon she starts that incessant clucking stuff out in the yard, and that sets everybody else off. And uh, those are the cluck cluck, those are the crow crow, and you, you got a party going on out there, you know. And you go out and you look and see what's going on. There's a blessed thing going on, but one making a whole lot of noise, and that's it. So uh, it's. Uh, I, I think if I was going to mix them, I'd certainly watch. Uh, you know, watch watch for any abnormalities and stuff. Every now and then, you'll get one one bird that wants to be the the guy in charge, and you go around and beat everybody up, and it can be ugly. So, uh, you know, just have to watch. <laughs> Christmas chicken in chat room says, "Yep, there's Peter Brown going out to uh, make them have a timeout." That's it. You're in timeout. That's it. That's it. Can't behave. You're in timeout. Yep. In timeout. Okay, here's here's an interesting question, and we may not have enough information for this, but uh, we've uh, we've probably gotten something like this before. Lisa wants to know how do I know if my one and only hen is broody or is something really wrong? She is a black copper moran or moran or marin, depending on who you are and where you're from, <laughs> who laid her first egg on Valentine's Day about two and a half weeks ago. She stopped laying and now just stays in the nesting box. She won't eat unless I pull her out. And she makes the most wretched sound like a vulture or something. Um, It's like she's gone mad. Can she die from this? What's wrong? And that's all I've got, Peter. Yeah. (laughs) It's a tough one, but uh, generally speaking, you know, um, I mean, if she's not laying, just because she's not laying doesn't mean she won't go broody on you. Um, you know, I mean, like I said, we got got most of the birds in our flock out here. The females, uh, I think, there's only one or two that are really producing any kind of eggs at all, um, which we don't care about one way or another. And um, uh, like I said, these these two are are sharing this egg as of yet. Uh, be interesting to see uh, what goes on after it hatches out, if it does hatch out. Um, but I'm not sure there's a way to tell other than to do an inspection of the bird uh, from you know from my perspective. I've seen it before where birds go broody and they just you know 
don't do anything. I think maybe not allowing her to go in the nest box, number one, see if that can uh, motivate her to uh, to do something else. Um, as to why she's not laying eggs, uh, that, that can be a number of different things from, uh, you know, being... Uh, some sort of disease to a genetic thing to a hormonal imbalance. Um, certainly at this time of the year, she should be getting enough daylight, so you wouldn't think that that's going to be a problem. Um, she, she said it was a, a, a hen, so we're, we're, I'm assuming we're talking about a bird that's a little bit on the older side rather than younger. Um, I, I think I would take her out of the nest box. I mean, if you feel that she's being threatened by not eating, uh, because when they don't eat whatever they need nutritionally, we've talked about this before, they'll take it out of their body, and first thing you know, she'll be skin mm-hmm. and bone, and then you'll be trying to uh, fix that situation. So I would, you know, I would observe the bird in the evening uh, after the lights are all out and it's nice and dark, and see if there's any squeaking, squealing, uh, you know, rattling, choking, uh, sneezing, any of that stuff going on, which I doubt. Um, but I, I would probably try to break her from doing what she's doing and uh, see if you can you know, get that done. Sometimes you can't. Uh, observe the droppings uh, and see what's going on there. Uh, uh, open the bird's mouth, take a look, see around there. Take the mouth, close it, uh, close off the nostrils for about 15, 20 seconds, see if there's bubbling in the eyes, which indicates an upper respiratory thing, but you might be able to hear that as well. Um, just a general look-see all the way around. If not, it's probably broodiness, and then you know, then it's a, a mission to uh, to uh, to try to break that habit. And uh, there are all kinds of uh, methodologies from putting them in a box with a uh, uh, a wire bottom so that the cold air will come up under them. I don't know. I don't know what really works. Uh, sometimes uh, you know those things work. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes, uh, and I have seen this. Sometimes with some broody birds, there's nothing you can do. Nothing. Is that it's a uh, it's a problem within the breed itself is uh, trying to get them over it. Sorry about that, Peter. I got completely disconnected and had to call back into the switchboard. You still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Okay. No, I mean, you were finishing up, and and uh, it just went deep, 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 and uh, I was gone. So I was like, okay, maybe I can get back on before he stops talking, so no worries there. So I apologize about that. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm at the homestead, so I'm in a very rural area, so okay. uh, just to be able to broadcast is a blessing. So uh, occasionally I just get disconnected. So, no, we got a great question coming up here next, and uh, let me go ahead and get down to this. Okay, we hear this a lot. Uh, one may even say this is a common problem, and we, and we do hear this a good bit, and you see it a lot on blogs and forums. Chris wants to know, what makes a chicken lose all her feathers around her butt? I have three with red, bald butts. It's been that way for weeks. She's not losing, they're, they're not losing feathers anywhere else, just red butts around the vent, we're assuming, so... Well, I'm not sure exactly uh, why either, uh, other than the fact that um, sometimes it's it's a feather shaft mite, and they're hard to detect. Um, they uh, burrow in at skin level and drill a little hole in the in the feather shaft. Uh, that's a possibility. 
Um, sometimes it's a fungal infection. Uh, sometimes it's genetics. Uh, feather loss is, a, is an interesting thing because um, there, there isn't much uh, research that I have ever seen that's been done specifically for these types of situations where they, where they lose the, the feathers. Uh, um, I mean, they could be pulling them out themselves for all we know. Probably not, but, you know, it's always an option. Other birds could be pulling them out, but that's probably not an option either. Um, I, I, would, I would consider, um, you know, seeing if you can put a topical-type cr uh, cream on it, something that would be used for athlete's foot maybe, and see if that, uh, you know, that makes, makes a difference. Certainly could be genetic, especially if you have two or three birds doing the same thing, and they're the only three. Uh, you know, let's say you have six birds, three got bare butts, three, three don't. Uh, it kind of makes you wonder why three do, three don't. Um, so, you know, it, it's possible that it is, is, is genetic as well. But other than that, I'm not sure, and I'd really have to take a look at the birds to, uh, to make any further determination than that. Zachary, um, uh, two posts down, says he's got the same thing going on, but he's, he's visualized, um, uh, actually just one of her, his hens has it. So she, he's got the same red butt problem, but with only one of his hands, and she's visualized her plucking out and eating them uh, herself. So she's doing yeah. the damage herself, and then she, he's visualized them eating the feathers. Yeah, and that is um, that can be any number of problems from uh, feather mites, feather shaft mites, uh, a, um, a fungal infection of the feather follicle itself, okay, and it, it or a uh, bad habit or um, a m vitamin or mineral deficiency, maybe a protein deficiency. And this has nothing to do, because people say, oh, I'm feeding the best feed. I'm not saying you're not feeding them the best feed. That's not at all what I'm talking about. Um, sometimes you can eat the best of food, and if the body is not going to be able to break it down uh, and absorb it, then uh, and get those nutrients out of it. I mean, let's face it, if you want to take some, uh, uh, some hooves off of a cow, grind it all up and feed it to chickens, it's high in protein, no, no doubt. But um, what is going to be their ability to take that and break it down and, and you know, get the protein out of it that they need? And, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's, uh, uh, it, just, it just depends. So that could be any, any number of things, you know, that, that would cause that. I would... Uh, I would experiment around and, and look for, you know, for, uh, uh, for the root cause of that uh, by examining some feathers uh, and taking a look at the bird overall, making sure she doesn't have mites. Uh, feather shaft mites a little bit hard to see. Um, I've only seen a couple of cases of, of it uh, personally myself, up, up close and personal. Um, so it's probably more rare than common, but it does, it does exist, and, and uh, you have to be very careful to observe the feather shaft because it's a little tiny pinhole, and then they go up and down. The feathers get brittle lots of times. You see this with birds where the the feather is broken off and there's just a piece of the of the of the feather shaft still left in the feather follicle, and uh, sometimes that's caused by that as well. Um, but um, around the 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 feather shaft where it goes into the feather follicle at the skin level. Sometimes you'll see just a little tinge of, of bluish black around there, and that's a, that's a fungal infection. Um, doesn't mean that uh, 
that it couldn't be there without it as well, but I've seen that. So it could be any number of things, but I'll hang my hat more on a some sort of a nutritional deficiency uh, of, of either vitamin, mineral, or protein somewhere along that line. And I would probably do some adjusting with that bird, uh, some some uh, a little bit higher protein for that particular bird, and see if she stops it. Or it might be just a bad habit that she's gotten into. Could have been caused by something else that's gone on and passed, but she still has a bad habit. Because I've seen this in chickens where. Uh, a male bird will just sit there and let a female pick the hackle feathers right out, and she'll eat every one of them, and he'll just, he'll just let her pull every one of them right out. So uh, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason why they do it, kind of like people sometimes. Okay. Uh, Melissa has an interesting question here. Um, we already talked about leg mites. She talked about treatment uh, recommended for that. Hers is uh, in addition to um, I have lost some birds recently and realized they have leg mites. Can that be fatal, or do I have something else going on, too, that may have caused them to pass? Hmm. That's an interesting question because, um, as you well know, I've been doing this over 50 years, and um, I have never... Um, I have never seen a case of scaly leg mites kill a bird unless the mite infestation was so bad um, that it was just so debilitating. Mm-hmm. So I would have to know a little bit more how bad is this case of scaly leg mites. A normal, <clears throat> I hate to use this terminology, but it describes it better, a normal run-of-the-mill uh, light infestation where the where these scales are just raised up a little bit, uh, I seriously doubt it. But there are cases out there where the whole leg is just one crusty, nasty mess, the foot, the leg. Uh, yeah, that, that will take a bird. It takes time. not going to die quickly from it, but uh, it's a... Uh, and, and I don't get it. I, for the life of me, I do not understand... Uh, and those particular situations uh, where they're so encrusted, uh, uh, it's hard to describe what it looks like. It looks almost like it's mummified. And, uh, you know, I can't understand how a person could not miss that, but, you know, you know, a, a light infestation of scale and leg mites, I could see somebody not getting a hold of that right away because if they're not handling their birds, it's the old story. The more time you spend with your birds, the happier, the healthier they're going to be, and the happier you're going to be because you're not going to be doctoring and messing with them as much because if you keep on top of things. Uh, you know, I keep telling people who have uh, silkies and that kind of thing, uh, you know, there are uh, perceived anomalies that happen with this particular breed, and it would make sense for you to do some supplementation uh, to their diet to head it off. But most people just don't do that. They wait till they have a crisis on their hand, and then, then it's you know run around try to get this done, try to get that done. And sometimes once sometimes once these things happen, uh, they're not really easily reversed. And in some cases, not reversed. So um, you know that bucket sitting out in the middle of the yard, or uh, once a month uh, visually picking up your birds. Uh, and you don't have to do them all in one day. If you just did a few every day of the week. Um, You'd certainly go through your birds for the average small flock holder. Probably go through their birds, you know, pretty readily. 
and uh, you know you want to look look them over. You want to look at the legs. You want to look at the eyes. Uh, I had an interesting case. Uh, uh, I was just away this weekend at a show up in New Jersey, and um, had a great time. Great people, and um, uh, there was this. Uh, it was uh, one of the juniors. There was a um, a bird, and and uh, uh, they came to me, and the, the bird had. Um, the judge had put on the tag on the cage that had ear infection. And um, so I, they came and asked me if I'd come and take a look at it, and I looked at it, and, and uh, it was fairly obvious something going wrong because bird kept shaking its head. And uh, the ears were so small it was difficult to see and <clears throat> trying to handle the bird and, and, and so on in, within the confines of the cage, but I managed to do it. It was fairly docile, and I... Uh, when I handle a bird like that, I just put my hand up under the breast and just kind of stabilize them. Then I can turn my hand, you know, right or left without having to turn the bird's head. And uh, lo and behold, in the uh, in the in the right ear, there was a little yellow core sticking out of that little tiny ear hole. And that's a uh, we call it ear canker, not related to mouth canker whatsoever. Uh, it's just that it looks like it. And if you pull it out, it's uh, conical in shape. And it looks um, it can be waxy, uh, more yellow than orange, but sometimes orangey yellow, um, and uh, stink to high heaven once you get it out. And uh, can be a very aggressive bacteria. It can be anything from Pseudomonas uh, to uh, uh, Enterobacter faecalis. Uh, and um, nobody's quite sure how it gets spread around. Um, Enterobacter can be a common inhabitant of the gut of a lot of animals, humans included. So I don't know. I don't know how it got there. Um, it's not. It seems to be more uh, prevalent these days. I seem to be dealing with it a little bit more. But it was an interesting thing anyway. And, and uh, uh, it's uh, just one more of those those uh, you know anomalies that come along that uh, uh, can be hard to spot. But by the same token, if you're picking them up, looking at the ears looking in their eyes, looking in their nostrils, looking down their throat, uh, taking a look at the butt and seeing if it's got a bunch of manure stuck to it or it doesn't look right or if there's feathers or the feathers that uh, might start crawling on you. It can save you a whole lot of time and, and uh, a whole lot of heartache at the end of the day. And uh, I was able to instruct these folks how to take care of it. And, but it can be aggressive. It can take a very long period of time. It's constantly cleaning it out, putting the proper medication in. And for something like that, we generally would use, uh, we could start out with Otomax, and uh, <clears throat> sometimes that'll take care of it, wash it out with peroxide, put the Otomax in two or three times a day. Uh, sometimes you need to supplement that with either uh, amoxicillin or cephalexin, one of the two. Uh, usually we'll take care of it. It can take as long as 30 days or more to take care of it. Very aggressive. Don't want to be touching it with your hands. Okay. Uh, interesting information right there from the uh, poultry show, bringing over to uh, bringing over a bird. Hey, Doc, what's going on with this? So, uh, an interesting story there, uh, Peter. So, um, yeah, it doesn't all right, we're going to go. Oh, sorry, I, I just cut them off. We're going to go to a commercial break, and uh, there's more to come with uh, Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown, uh, founder of First State Vet Supply. Visit them online, firststatevetsupply.com. And uh, again, more to come. More questions will be answered from our Facebook fans right after this short break. So stay with us, folks. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. 
I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hensaver aprons today at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Mount Healthy Hatcheries has been a hatching tradition for over 80 years. Home of the healthiest chicks, Mount Healthy Hatcheries offers a wide selection of bantams, turkeys, guineas, ducks, pheasants, and of course, meat birds and layers. Order online at mounthealthy.com, that's mthealthy.com, or give them a call at 1-800-451-5603. Don't forget to ask about their free bonus chicks offer. Mount Healthy Hatcheries, home of the healthiest chicks. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit ChickenFountain.com. That's ChickenFountain.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com 
or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Thank you very much for staying with us today. Also, want to mention a, uh, a sponsor, and I just can't find it here on the switchboard right now, though I know I've got it somewhere. Um, and that is Cackle Hatchery. Um, in fact, I've heard a lot of great things from Cackle Hatchery from uh, a lot of folks out there, including uh, breeders and um, folks that hatch a lot, and uh, the, really the whole nine yards. We want you to make sure you welcome them as a sponsor of the radio show. That's Cackle Hatchery, and I've heard some good things about them from also Peter Brown, the chicken doctor. And I've even heard regarding some of their breeder stock that they've purchased and try to purchase when they can breeder stock that meets or uh, comes close to meeting the uh, um, the standard for that particular breed. So I've heard really good things about Cackle Hatchery regarding that. So I wanted to mention them as well. Make sure you visit Cackle Hatchery online. Tell them I sent you uh, the Chicken Whisperer. All right, let's get back over here to Peter Brown. We've got about 15 minutes left. I'm going to get back over here to the Facebook page, we're just going down the list from uh, some of the questions that our fans have posted uh, when we told them that Peter was going to be on. So some of these questions, again, may be from listeners that, that, aren't, uh, that normally have not listened before, so some of the uh, um, content is a little uh, vague, if you will, maybe not as detailed. Uh, so uh, in the future, just make sure you can give us as much information, especially signs, symptoms, age of the bird, they breed, things like that. So we can uh, that may lead us down the, the right path. Have a question here, interesting question as well. Um, we know that brooding, uh, because of the lack of uh, um, nutrition and water, because they are, are sitting on eggs, um, the, the hens have uh, get, get stressed pretty good. But here's a question. Um, I had two hens sitting on the same nest, but then one hen came out, was very weak, very lethargic, and ended up dying. The other hen is still on the nest, but I'm thinking the eggs have just gone bad. Uh, I kind of want to pull her off, but I'm worried if I do, I might lose the chicks that would have hatched if I let her stay on there. Uh, but I'm very worried. Why would the other hen become ill? What should I do? And the first thing when I read that, Peter was thinking, um, <laughs> oh, they should be hatching in 21 days. So I don't know, Peter, if this has been going on for 40 days or 17 days or 10 days. Or I don't know what the length, because I think that's key to know, because they did mention, uh, I, I don't want to take her off and, and ruin the hatch, but then she's thinking the eggs may have gone bad but we're looking at, just so you know, 21 days on you know for those chicks to hatch. The temperature's a little bit high, a little sooner. If it's a little low, a little bit later. So uh, if, if, if they've been sitting on the eggs for 30 days, 35 a month, then um, you probably just want to remove those eggs and get them out of there and, and, and whatnot. But that's key. I think that's a key point. Uh, so, Peter, that's, that's what we've got. Two hens sharing, sharing the same clutch of eggs. One came out lethargic, weak, and ended up dying. And the other one's still sitting there. And um, any other comments uh, other than what I shared with them? Yeah, again, the, the, the lethargic, uh, you know, weak uh, chick um, can be any any number of, of things. Usually uh, we can trace it back uh, to uh, um, 
not enough uh, nutrition in the uh, breeding stock, whether it be the male, the female, <clears throat> or, or which. Um, see, these these birds are sitting on, sitting on the eggs. So as a general rule, you you um, uh, and you can't always, but you know, hens are better mothers than incubators will ever be, and so you have to look at at it. And think that you know the they were well they were sharing it and sitting on it and and everything else probably were doing everything fairly properly, or you know <clears throat> could be related to the fact they might have got off the nest too much fighting over it. Uh, really, not enough information to 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 uh, to give it. Just like I, I related earlier, uh, the two characters that we got here sharing one egg. Uh, uh, you know the. Uh, uh, the egg belongs to one, and she seems to be okay letting the other one share in, in the uh, in the spoils here. So we'll just have to see how it hatches out. It wasn't meant to be. It was one of those eggs laid in a corner by something, and we just didn't catch it. And uh, you know, we're, we're not. Uh, you know, when we candled it, we thought maybe we'd caught it early, but we didn't, and we were not just willing to toss it. So uh, at some point, we may or may not have uh, another bird here. Uh, irregardless, um, so uh, but lots of times we we see this, uh, uh, you know, uh, where the the birds are, are weak and then they end up dying. Um, the other thing is um, uh, that we have to look at, uh, you know, was this a fat dumpy chick, which indicates uh, that it didn't have enough water loss. Um, uh, was the navel healed or not? For um, you know, were all of the uh, uh, the egg yolk and everything? You know, uh, was it all taken into the body cavity? Because sometimes what happens with with birds, I had it happen uh, a week or so ago with with somebody, and uh, uh, the the bird had what we call a retained yolk sac, where where it um, doesn't absorb like it's supposed to because it's infected. And um, one of the ways to tell is that uh, dehydration. Uh, in these birds, there's an incessant chirping. They never shut up. I mean, it's every 10 seconds or more. Chirp, 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 chirp. Everybody else is quiet and wanting to sleep or half asleep, and this one is just incessantly going on and on and on. And one of the ways to tell uh, the dehydration process, because they really don't want to eat and drink, you bring it over there and they take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that, and then they back away from it, <clears throat> is that... Um, start to see red hocks. The hocks, uh, the hock joint of the leg um, starts to get red and down the, re the leg a little bit. That's an indication of, um, uh, of dehydration, as is a slight shriveling, and you have to look at it. And you have to, you know, a, a trained eye, you, you pick up on it right away. Uh, I did all of this over the Internet and photographs that were provided for me, um, and it was quite obvious to, to me uh, you know what was going on, but the bird was was dehydrated to start with because you could look at at the legs and you could see that they weren't normal. And if you were to take that picture and put it beside a bird that was uh, uh, relative same age, uh, you would see the difference in the texture of the skin of the legs and the, the redness of of the hock. So it's hard, exactly hard to say. Uh, and you know if you've gone 21 days beyond, if you're 30 days, 25 days, and the other one isn't really hatching. Um, I don't know. It's not going to be viable that I know of. I just, just I don't see that happening. So I. 
you know, another another thing is to candle the egg, but if it's dead in the shell and you, you can't detect mm-hmm. any movement, that's another thing. You just, you know, I I, I just uh, that's a, that's a hard one be, without too much more information. But you know, in relation mm-hmm. to the first one. Okay, awesome. Let's see what we've got here. Uh, we get this uh, not every time we're on, but maybe uh, every now and then. Um, Cheryl has a chick that's seven weeks old that apparently is developing crossed beak, scissor beak. Uh, I don't think it will be very severe, but what is the best way to trim the beak? Is it possible to kind of get ahead of it before um, uh, it, it gets worse, and um, they're relatively new to chicken keeping and want to do the right thing. Yeah, it is, and it's a, and it's an advisable thing to try to get ahead of it. Uh, take some tenacity, some patience, um, and a, a very small amount of, of skill. Um, the way that uh, I've always uh, done it and done it successfully is to, uh, uh, depending on, on how bad it is, uh, start to uh, remove uh, the portion that's not going the way you want it to go. And um, you can use a, a, um, an emery board to start with. Uh, bird's not going to like it and probably fight you every step of the way, but just a little bit every day. And then when you get it to the point where it's as even as you can get it with the rest of, of, the, of the beak, um, you would take a... Um, um, these little wood-burning tools work real good for this purpose, but... Um, and just gently burn the edge where you've taken off this excess. Um, you don't want to take off a lot of excess with the emery board at one time. You don't want it to bleed or anything like that. But taking that um, wood-burning tool and um, gently killing those cells right along that beak can keep it from growing out that way and force it to grow the, the you know straight out the way you want it to. Um, you probably got about a 60% chance of, of making it happen, uh, maybe a little bit better than that, I mean, maybe even a 70% chance depending on, on how good you are at doing it, and it may take multiple times of trimming and, and, and uh, uh, using the wood-burning tool to, uh, to cauterize that uh, area. And uh, you don't want to do it too hot. You don't want to, in this particular case, more is not good. Um, there shouldn't really be uh, any pain uh, to, to speak of uh, because you're not going to be going deep into tissue and that kind of thing. And um, But just if you do more, you can cause the, 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 the cells to, uh, to bunch up there and then they end up bubbling up on you and you get a bubble beak out of it and you don't want that. But if you do it gently enough, uh, just keep the tool moving back and forth over it. It'll smell. You won't like it either and just keep going back and forth over it and keep it moving. And um, that hopefully will uh, will get them past it and uh, you know, make the, uh, the the beak grow out the way you want it to. And, again, as the bird starts to mature, you may have to uh, go back in and do it again. But eventually, uh, you know, it should be successful. We've, we've done it quite a few different times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, we had one, and uh, we babied that for a long time, but she just didn't make it enough. She never did catch up, always then. We did everything, special feeders, waters, the whole nine yards, trimming, uh, you know, work, and kind of the, uh, therapy with it. Just, it. just didn't pan out for her. But we well, if you, go to, yeah, if you go to Facebook and, and, and the group called, the, I believe I, I posted in this group, called the Chickenistas, and um, 
somebody was talking about a bird that either died or I, I can't remember all the circumstances. Doesn't really matter. Uh, I posted a picture there of a client's bird from years back that was attacked by a predator, uh, and both the lower and upper beak are completely 100% gone. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And that bird's still alive today, still producing eggs. So they are hardy little creatures. It just depends on the circumstances. It depends on the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first aid. We thought maybe that there might be enough left uh, of the root of the of the, of the uh, upper and lower mandible to to grow back for this bird, but it just never happened. And as as goofy as it looks. The bird's fat, dumb, and happy every day, eating and drinking, and has been now for, I want to say, better than two years, three years maybe. So it's, it lays an egg every day, every day. Good for her. Good for her. Yep. And so you want to see it. If you, you know, I mean, it's not bloody or anything. The picture that's on there, it's just odd. There's no beak, anywhere, just tissue, mm-hmm. upper, upper and lower. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. From, this is from, from my perspective, and from my perspective in my world, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, that is, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to wrap it up with two last questions. Uh, like I said, we're at 3:15, and uh, we, we um, so, and then I'll actually I'll get all the initial questions that I think were asked. Um, let's see. This and again, we won't know the answer to this for sure. But um, uh, again, there may be a, a key here that would clue you into something, Peter. I recently had a hen who would just stand by the water but not drink. Uh, I massaged her crop and it didn't seem full. I gave her water and some olive oil with a syringe. Uh, She got weak and we decided to put her down. We did a necropsy on her and found nothing stuck in her crop and she was not egg bound, but she did uh, she had a foul smell and um, uh, I don't know if this is yolk from several eggs in her or several yolks from several eggs in her, because uh, it's, it's the way it's typed is uh, um, it had a very bad smell and yolk from several eggs in her. I am uh, thinking she had some type of defect at birth that caught up with her. I had issues with her with a severe pasty butt as a chick and uh, also uh, uh, a matted bottom. Uh, as a hen, her vent always looked different to me. Uh, even when she was a baby chick. Uh, do you have any ideas of what may be wrong with her? So we have a key here, a foul smell. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if it's they meant to type several yolks inside of her or just a lot of yolk inside of her. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to assume for the moment that there was uh, free-floating yolk around in the body cavity. Maybe wrong. Um, the, you know, not having any more information than has already been given. Yeah, that's but, it, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to assume that's that's what it was, and uh, like egg yolk peritonitis, uh, this would be different than a bird being a uh, uh, egg bound bird. Uh, this would be a bird that would be more of an internal layer. And uh, real quick, what happens there is that the uh, infundibulum, which is the opening to the oviduct, uh, it's a funnel uh, that stays closed, and then hormonally, when the egg is um, the ovum actually, or the yolk is uh, going to be ovulated, it will open, and the uh, it uh, moves, and the uh, uh, ovum is ovulated, and it drops into the infundibulum, and then makes its way down uh, the oviduct uh, to become an egg. Uh, 
uh, when a bird is being handled, chased, uh, a thunderstorm and birds are upset and uh, flip-flopping around, whether they be in cages or in a yard, uh, possibly even running around, uh, this can cause a bird to uh, drop that ovum into the body cavity rather than into the infundibulum and the oviduct where it belongs. One or two of them, eh, maybe not a big deal. Uh, and the body will recognize it as a foreign body and will start to wall it off and, and calcify it. We see this even in humans where uh, uh, they've had the, the same type of a problem with this, was, was, uh, with a uh, small human embryos. They found them in these people that are older and had problems, and all of a sudden they get this calcified mass. Well, that's what the body does to it. It'll calcify it. But you start dropping them in there every day like clockwork, and the body can't keep up with it, and then you start to get this peritonitis setting in, which is a infection of the, of the, uh, of the body cavity. And so the foul odor makes me suspect that that's what was the case here. Um, and uh, there was probably, and my, my, my guess was that they did the bird a favor by putting her down because she probably would have died eventually anyway. Um, would have been interesting to look around a little bit more. Um, and, you know, if you're not familiar with, with looking around in the, in the body cavity, that's why I encourage people to get the, uh, the uh, uh, color disease poster that I have if you uh, are um, going to attempt at any point in time to do your own necropsy. It's a valuable tool. Uh, it's all in living color. It's a heavy material that, that can be framed, uh, easily wiped off. Um, we don't fold it. We send it in a tube so that you can, uh, uh, can frame it if you so desire, and it isn't full of wrinkles and all that kind of stuff. But um, the idea behind it is in the middle of the thing, uh, and it's fairly good-sized. Uh, it's um, better than three foot tall and quite wide. Uh, but in the middle of it, it's got a bird completely posted out for you, all the parts labeled with a key down at the bottom, and then on the on the periphery, on the per perimeter of it, uh, has all of the major poultry diseases. So you can take a look at your bird, and you can look and see what a diseased liver looks like, and you know what uh, kidneys look like, and bronchitis, and what a tracheal plug looks like, and you can look at laryngotracheitis, and you can look at mycoplasma, and you can look at worms, and lymphoid leukosis, and merics, and all those kinds of things, and you can do the comparison yourself and become extremely knowledgeable in a very short period of time. Uh, I always say you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your flock. If a bird dies, uh, to have a necropsy done, whether you can do it yourself or not, that's another story, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people, and, and that's what my career has been all about. How did it happen? Why did it happen? And how can we fix it if we can? Or how can we prevent it from happening again if we can? And so all of those Christmas things. Chick I yeah. Christmas chick in the chat room said uh, she would like to order one. How can she do it? Just go online and, and order it. Uh, it's real simple. It's like it is on your website? Yes, it is. And it's like fourteen ninety five. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very good. There you go, Christmas chick. Okay, we're going to wrap up the radio show with this last question. I'll get back over here, and this comes to us from Paulette. Uh, when my chickens are spooked, I have this white liquid on the ground. Are they sick, or is this normal? That's the way I'm wording the question. Uh, when my chickens are spooked, I have this white liquid on the ground. Are they sick, or is this normal? Now, uh, white liquid uh, versus when uh, you have a chicken poo and you see a white cap on that, 
uh, my understanding that is the urites uh, on the poo. The white part is the urites, but this may, uh, like she's describing, is a white liquid on the ground. Um, I would say that it's it's a um, it's a nervous response. And it may be related to. Um, I doubt it's a disease problem if it comes and goes. Uh, most disease problems don't work that way. They come, they stay. You either fix it or the bird goes away. Um, so uh, I've seen it before. Birds get nervous. Uh, I've held birds before, and they uh, they they dump on you right quick. Uh, it's just a nervous uh, type thing, and it isn't always a fully formed uh, uh, dropping. The the last part of the intestine, the last part of the uh, the large intestine, is uh, similar to the colon in a human being. That's where all of the moisture uh, basically is is absorbed out of a dropping. So uh, the dropping may not have been um, ready to come out, but she may have let it go anyway, and um, or they may have let it go anyway. So. Um, as long as it's something that, and she's, it seems to be only when they're spooked that this happens, and that's right in line with uh, handling a bird, and uh, uh, which I've you know done a zillion times, and uh, um, you know there there may be a dropping uh, that isn't quite ready to come out, but they do it anyway, and it comes out and gets all over you, runs down your shirt or wherever it's at, and. Uh, so, I, but I've seen that before. I kind of reckon that to, uh, to uh, kind of like a colitis effect in humans that, that have the same type of a problem. That, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I think it's just a nervous type thing. It's, like I said, especially if it goes away, I don't think it's anything to worry about. If it's consistent, happens day in day out when they're not spooked, and you're seeing a lot of that, that's an issue, and then you have to address that and uh, and see what's going on. Perfect. Great information. All righty, well, that, that is going to wrap up a, uh, another episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Our guest today, of course, Peter Brown, uh, also known as the Chicken Doctor and founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. You can visit him online, FirstStateVetSupply.com. And he, is, uh, he does carry uh, the Oxine uh, in the one-gallon bottle that we've talked about as far as uh, cleaning the coop, uh, disinfecting the coop, uh, and even the run whether it's related to this uh, salmonella outbreak and you're going, you've chosen to call or you just want to give it a good disinfectant and cleaning uh, and keep your flock or if you, you know, you're going through your yearly or, or, or twice a year annual massive, you know, the, the disinfectant cleaning versus your, your average everyday type of cleaning, every week cleaning, he does carry the Oxine. I know people have uh, sometimes had a hard time finding that, but uh, O-X-I-N-E, and he does have that uh, at firstdatebestsupply.com. So very cool. Peter, thank you very much, as always, for joining us. If you like it when Peter's on, join us every Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's when he is here, and uh, we often have these um, uh, Q&A uh, segments. Many times we have a specific topic we're talking about, so you can get that information on over on our uh, Facebook page. So, Peter, thank you very much for joining us today. Great episode, as always. My pleasure, Andy. Enjoyed every minute of it. Great. Thank you so much. Appreciate the uh, information and, uh, from your uh, uh, long and many years of uh, experience dealing with uh, poultry. So thank you very much. And to you, the listener, thank you very much for tuning in today. We do appreciate it. And uh, we do try to broadcast Monday through Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So put that on your calendar and tune in and check us out on Facebook. 
facebook.com forward slash the chicken whisperer and I will update you on who our guests and what the topics are going to be on a regular basis. So thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care. Ha 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 